You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. There's two things I want to ask you as I begin offering just a word to us. First thing, first thing I want to ask you, and um, there is a, a slide, Kim, I think, with the questions up here. What continues to move you toward grasping that God needs to liberate you from? And I'm going to ask you to do some real work this morning. This is the time of the week where we gather. We have an hour and a half together. It's not a lot of time in the sum total of our lives. We will watch a movie that lasts an hour and a half or two hours or three hours or even longer and not even think twice about the time we invest in it. And I'm going to ask you to go deep in this time together and give real consideration. What is it that continues to move you toward grasping? Grasping for hope, grasping for love, grasping for fulfillment, grasping for something to fill you up, grasping uh, for answers, just this constant reaching and this constant straining and this constant stress that leads to this anxiety, that leads to this sadness, that leads to the sorrow, just if you go back there, that leads to this kind of just tiredness. What is it that continues to move you toward grasping that God needs to liberate you from? And I'd like to ask you to write it down on this paper. And then we're going to do something with this paper together in just a few moments. But the second question I'd like to ask is what keeps you from actively participating in God's work of liberation in our city? That may be the same thing. And I'm not going to, I'll explain a little bit about that second question later, but it's really important for us that we do not think that church is about us. It involves us. You see the difference? And that our faith is not about us. Our faith is actually about Christ. Are y'all see the difference? And that being loved by God and the work of God's grace is to make us more loving and more gracious. So it's not just enough for us to sit back and come and think that church service is a spiritual pep rally. So we feel good about our lives when we leave just to live our lives those six days of the week the same in which we came except maybe we are a little more prayerful. Does that make sense? We cannot be a people who think that we just get to go about our lives and cross the paths of those who need to see the love of Jesus and how we live our lives. We know this to be true. There is no place you are going to ever be where Christ will not be with you because Christ is as close to you as the breath in your lungs. And so it is important that we remember that for sure. But it's also important that we remember there are those that Christ isn't as close to them as the breath in their lungs. There are those who are desperately crying out for the Christ to speak, to move. And sometimes we are the answer to those prayers. Sometimes we are the sent ones. Well, first off, we're always the sent ones. But sometimes to that neighbor, to that person, to even that enemy, we are the one that God has sent. So that first question matters for me 
And my relationship with the Christ who is as close to me as the breath in my lungs. That matters. And it matters to you. But that second question, that second question, that matters to my neighbor. And we have to ask both. So, what keeps you from actively participating in God's work of liberation in our city? We'll talk about that in a moment. So as it comes to you, please write it down. And we'll do something with it together. Isaiah 61, we have been in this text for a couple of weeks. We're going to be in this text for a little longer. And remember, the people of God have come out of exile. Their life is being rebuilt. The temple is being rebuilt. The walls of Jerusalem are being rebuilt. Life is starting to come back together out of this long, long season of exile and captivity, of enemy occupation, of being displaced in their world. And Isaiah, most likely the priests who come in the spirit of Isaiah, stand before the God and say, stand before the people of God and say, The Lord God's spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for captives and liberation for prisoners. Now, we talk a lot about the word liberation. It's a strong word. But it's a strong word with a very specific meaning. In the Hebrew, the word for liberation is deor. And that word is more than just to be free. That word is to be set free. That word deor is about release. More importantly, that word deor in the Hebrew that we translate liberation really denotes this idea of free flowing anywhere and everywhere for flourishing. Do you get that? It's free flowing. This word is used for like oil that freely flows. This word is about free flowing. This word is about going anywhere and everywhere I want to go. It actually means to be at large, to be roaming free, to be about wherever you want to be about where flourishing is possible. So it's more than just to be free. You see the strength of the word? The strength of the word is there. And so Isaiah continues on and says in liberation for prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor because liberation is always tied up to Jubilee. We're not going to talk about that. We talked about that enough. If you've missed that, you can go back and find that. But it's there. And a day of vindication for our God. Because sometimes that's what we need to comfort all who mourn. To provide for Zion's mourners. To give them a crown instead of ashes. Oil of joy instead of mourning. A mantle of praise instead of discouragement. Remember two weeks ago we called that the radical reversal. Y'all remember that? If you didn't just say you did so I don't feel so bad. (laughs) And they will be called oaks of righteousness. Planted by the Lord to glorify himself. They, these people, those who are liberated. Listen, those who are liberated. Everybody say those who are liberated. Those who are liberated that Isaiah is talking about, they will be called oaks of righteousness, planted by the Lord to glorify himself. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore formerly deserted places. They will repair ruined cities and the devastations on many generations past. They will participate in the work of liberation because they are liberated. And they will be oaks of righteousness. Oak, oak is strong. They will be oaks of justice. That's what the word righteousness is, sedekah, social justice. That's the Hebrew word. There will be oaks of justice in society. Because they are liberated and they get it. 
And so they participate in the work of liberation. Beloved, we can't participate in the work of liberation until we understand fully that we are liberated. Foreigners will stay and shepherd your sheep, verse 5, and strangers will be your farmers and vine dressers. You will be called the priests of the Lord. Come on now. Ministers of our God. You know what makes you a minister of our God? Is your baptism, not some piece of paper you get from seminary. They will be called ministers of our God. They will say about you. You will feed on the wealth of nations and fatten yourself on their riches. That... That's a whole different kind of radical reversal right there that they're hearing. Instead of shame, their portion will be double. Who wants a double portion? Instead of disgrace, they will rejoice over their share. They will possess a double portion in their... There that word, double portion again. A double portion in their land. Everlasting joy. Everybody say everlasting joy. Come on now. (laughs) Everlasting joy will be theirs. I, the Lord, love justice. Now I want to pause. When you read this text, the priests or Isaiah is talking. But now all of a sudden, the Lord is talking. You got to notice that when you read the text. The the text now turns. Now the Lord, the Lord's own self, has something to say. And so then, out of all of that, about that everlasting joy will be theirs. I, I imagine that the Lord knows this word sounds impossible. Come on now. Because people ain't all, like people like us, some of us are feeling this. Some of us aren't feeling this. And I believe the Lord knows that some aren't feeling it. So now the Lord's like, I got this. And says, I, the Lord, love justice, hate robbery and dishonesty. I will faithfully give them their wage and make with them an enduring covenant. Their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants among the people. All who see them will recognize that they are a people blessed by the Lord. I surely rejoice in the Lord. My heart is joyful. Now you see it change. You see how it works in the text? I know you're not. It's in your notes. If you want to scan that thing, it's in there. But this is Isaiah 61. So it starts off and they're speaking. And we know it sounds impossible. And then the Lord says, "Whoa! but this is me. I will make this happen. Your priests aren't just saying this. They don't have that power. I'm the one who's going to make this happen. And when the Lord says, I'm going to make it happen, then it's like the Lord says, all right, now y'all go on. And the Lord steps out of the picture of the, of, of the text. And it turns right back to Isaiah. I surely rejoice in the Lord. Well, you should because the Lord's going to make this happen. My heart is joyful because of my God, because he has clothed me with clothes of victory, wrapped me in a robe of righteousness like a bridegroom in a priestly crown, and like a bride adorned in jewelry, as the earth puts out its growth, and as a garden grows its seed, so the Lord God will grow righteousness and praise before all the nations. So you know who's going to make this happen? Not us in our own work. Only God can liberate us and only God can do the work of liberation that we join God in. So let's not get it twisted. This work of rebuilding and repairing and restoring, we cannot do on our own. Matter of fact, we can only join God in what God is already doing. Does that make sense? We have a role to play, but the power is not ours. You with me? We are participants. We are not the source. 
There's a tension that has to be held. But knowing that God is going to do what God said God would do. And knowing that I have a role to play in it. But knowing that God said I am with you in this. I am the one with the power to make this possible. That could be our joy. That could give us a kind of hope that transcends the circumstance. That can help us redefine the circumstance. To know that this circumstance I am in does not have the final word. And somewhere in the midst of that circumstance, just like this text, the Lord is going to speak. And the Lord is going to intervene. But here's the thing. If we aren't actively participating in this work, then like Aaron said, we aren't going to hear the Lord when the Lord speaks. We aren't going to see the Lord move when the Lord moves. If we aren't actively moving about ourselves. But when we are participating in the work of God and we are receiving in the life of God and we're sharing in the life of God and we're learning to be loved by the love of God and we're moving toward the peace of God, then all of a sudden the joy of God begins to take shape. And have you noticed that in the Christian tradition it says the fruit of the Spirit is love Joy, peace. It's not the fruit of Fred. It's not a fruit of my good works. It's not the fruit of a deeper prayer life. It's not the fruit of better Bible study. It's not the fruit of better church attendance. All those things matter, but it's still going to be the fruit of the Spirit. The source of joy lives in you, believer. You know this, right? Like joy lives in you. It just may be covered up with a lot of dust and a lot of dirt, but it lives in you. Do we want to be liberated, free flowing, able to roam and flourish? Some of us are settling. For a lesser liberation that we call freedom. Fruit of the Spirit is not patriotism. Fruit of the Spirit is joy. Love. Goodness. Don't settle for a lesser liberation. Why are you going to say all that, Fred? You had me until you said that. Well, because in the Hebrew tradition, there's a psalm that they used to sing. Now, you may know this about the psalms, but the psalms were given to the people of God as their songbook. And the psalms as Hebrew poetry was supposed to renew their vision of Yahweh so they could reorient their lives toward that vision. Are y'all with me? The purpose of the Psalms was to renew their vision of Yahweh, not themselves, of Yahweh, so that they could reorient themselves toward that vision. That's the purpose of the Psalms. That's why the Psalms are so honest. And so, Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Let my whole being praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with all my life. I will sing praises to my God as long as I live. Listen, don't trust leaders. Don't trust any human beings. There's no saving help with them. Come on now, y'all hear me? Their breath leaves them and they go back to the ground. 
On that very same day, their plans die too. The person whose help is the God of Jacob, the person whose hope rests, everybody say rests, rests on the Lord their God, that is a person who is truly happy. God, the creator of heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. God, who is faithful forever, who gives justice to people who are oppressed, who gives bread to people who are starving. The Lord who liberates prisoners, the Lord who makes the blind see, the Lord who straightens up those who are bent low, the Lord whose loves, who loves those who practice justice, the Lord who advocates for immigrants, who helps orphans and widows and who makes the way of the wicked twist and turn the Lord will rule forever Zion your God will rule from one generation to the next praise the Lord that was the song I should not talk I just should have said that y'all not know then y'all have been like man that was the best sermon I've ever heard like, because that was a, a song. <laughs> That's called ripping off the Bible. <laughs> the Psalms were meant to remind them that they are to speak liberation, to pray liberation, and live liberation because Yahweh is the God of liberation. But when we settle for lesser liberation by putting our hope in a person, or in a man, or in a woman, or in a position, or in a house on a hill that's painted white. Y'all see what I'm doing? (laughs) Then we are settling for a lesser liberation. Because who's more liberated than the people of God? Come on now, somebody tell me. Who's more liberated than the people of God? Well, you'd never know because we don't always live liberated. Right, Right, come on. Isaiah 61 invites us away, invites us away from these false notions of liberation. Reminds us that we live in a land of broken promises. But Yahweh is leading us to the land of promise. And when Yahweh makes promises, Yahweh keeps them. And nobody knew that better, perhaps, than this man named Apostle Paul. Who was walking on his own land to this road called Damascus. And when he was walking on this road to Damascus. He was thinking about all the Christians he was going to arrest. That's what he's doing. How you know? Because that's what he was doing. Literally. He literally had Christians arrested. Even had them killed. Y'all remember that? Holding the coat of those people who were stoning Stephen. The Christian. The first martyr we read about in scripture. Who did that? Paul. Why? Because Paul was a member of this political party called the Pharisees. And they were trying to keep the Torah alive. And in order to keep the Torah alive, they created all these extra rules called the traditions and the oral law too. They were trying to make it, make all these hedges. And Paul was a part of that. Paul studied at the feet of one of the greatest rabbis of his time within the Pharisee party. And Paul was charged as a religious, passionate person to go and put an end to the Christian movement who were proclaiming that the king of the Jews had come and this person named Yeshua and then this person named Jesus. So you know what Paul was? He was a terrorist. 
Because he killed people in the name of his nationalistic ideology and his religion. And so as he was walking down this road to this place called Damascus, Jesus meets him there. Y'all remember the story, right? The brother falls blind. The voice of Jesus rings out. The people that are with him, I believe, if I remember this text correctly, were scared. And then Jesus says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Notice that Jesus doesn't say in the text in the book of Acts, why are you persecuting my people? You ever thought about that, right? He says, why are you persecuting me? See, what Paul didn't know is that he was chasing the wrong liberation. He was chasing a nationalistic ideology, thinking that's where his liberation was. Come on, now that'll preach in the United States of America. That's what he was chasing. And all he was doing was causing harm. So Jesus met him there and offered him a better liberation. And Paul knew it. So Paul was sent to a Jewish leader's house. Could you imagine being that guy? Getting a word from the Lord that the murderer of the Christians is going to come to your house for a visit? Yeah. Like, I'd be like, Lord, I mean, got somebody else. Like, you know. But he did. Because the first act, listen, the first act of Jesus with Paul's life is reconciling him with his enemies. Come on now. Come on. That's the first act of Jesus and Paul's life is to reconcile him with his enemies. And so he is. Paul goes on, spends his life planting churches to this one church in Colossae. In the great tradition of Isaiah, Paul wrote this word and he said in Colossians 2 verse 13, because he knew, he knew the meaning of this text when he wrote it, because he knew what he had received. When you were dead because of the things you had done wrong, he says in Colossians 2 verse 13, because your body wasn't circumcised, God made you alive with Christ and forgave all the things you had done. He destroyed the record of the debt we owed with its requirements that worked against against us. Listen, he canceled it by nailing it to the cross. Come on now. And when he disarmed the rulers... And authorities, he exposed them to public disgrace by leading them in a triumphal parade. Now, I need you to see that. We sometimes read that text and say, God forgave you of your sins. And yes, God did. And that God nailed all that debt you had in your life to the cross. And yes, God did. But that wasn't the only thing God did on the cross. What God also did is he put to shame the reign of sin and death. He put to shame the principalities and the powers that are perpetuating the injustices and the oppressions of the world. And disarmed them. He took the power of death from them. Because now Christians are actually death proof. Y'all know what I mean by that now, right? I ain't asking you to go try me on that. But you can try Jesus on it. He said he disarmed that. He disarmed the reign of sin and death and put him in disgrace. Now, there's a lot to this text when he says and created a triumphal parade. God wasn't humble about what happened on the cross. God needed the world to see. The powers and the principalities to see. That God is serious about liberation. 
so that we won't chase false liberations. It's not just good enough for us to know our sins have been forgiven. We also need to know that we are liberated from pursuing other things that will cultivate sin. Does that make sense? Because that's what kills us. The death of a thousand cuts. Keeps us from living free flowing. And so Paul would say then later to this church in Galatia. He would write and say, Christ, Galatians 5 verse 1, Christ has liberated us for freedom. Therefore, stand firm. See, Paul knew what Jesus said in John 14, 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That Paul knew that Jesus is not only the one who liberates us from the captivity of the reign of sin and death. Jesus liberates us from being held captive to the reign of sin and death. Matter of fact, Jesus is not only the one who liberates us from the captivity of the reign of sin and death. Jesus liberates us from being captivated by the lies of the reign of sin and death. Jesus, as the way, the truth, and the life, liberates us to know the way, discern the truth, and live abundant life. Liberation is possible, y'all. So we speak liberation. And now we pray liberation. So we can live liberation. So going back to these questions. What continues... To move you toward grasping that God needs to liberate you from. What is it that keeps you from actively participating in God's work of liberation in our city? Beloved, what is it? Is it anxieties, fears of scarcity? Is it a past you can't be freed from? Is it your tendency to live as though you have something to prove to others? Come on now. That ought to preach. Is it pride? Is it a pursuit of false liberations? What is it? continues to move you toward grasping that God needs to liberate you from? Is it unconfessed sin? Is it the quiet greeds of the heart? Is it the traumas, the harms and the hurts that others have caused that keeps you from freely living and loving? Is it a need to be known so deep that you cannot see anyone other than yourself? What is it? You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.